friends, welcome back to the Film Alchemist podcast, the show where we look at movies we love or just saw, break them apart to find out what gives them their magic, clown magic, who knows? I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always on this lovely Sunday morning uh, by my friend and co-host, Alex Dandino. Oh man, welcome back. I was gonna say, I was telling you a little before the show, I am completely fucked up in my head. Right. Because of our massive uh, pod undertaking for October. Yeah, yeah. Which I think we've mentioned, but in October, we're going to do every Nightmare on Elm Street movie, every Friday the 13th movie, plus a couple that are in theaters, and then on Halloween Day, we're going to culminate in Freddy versus Jason. And I was like, this is cool. This will be no problem. Nope. And so just the Huge fact problem. of watching all the Nightmare movies, and I've been recording them out of sync, so I've got I've started to record a bunch of them. I was like, I miss my Alex. And secondly, I was like... <laughs> Holy shit, all the nightmares are going to get us like one week out of four. It's like, this was a terrible <laughs> idea so much. So, yeah, I am like drowning in pot. I was like, I didn't think that I would ever hit a point where it's like, I think I have nothing to say left, but I'm at that point. Almost. <laughs> so I'm glad you're back, man. And this one is especially uh, awesome. Oh, my God. I didn't even notice if you watch the video. I have my my red balloon in the back. Oh, shit. Nice. Deed, deed, well done. Deed. Nice touch. Just, I'm a, I'm a subliminal art department guy, man. Yep. Uh, okay. So, Alex, uh, yeah. we went to the theater this weekend to see It Chapter 2. I um, did. I adored Chapter 1. And uh, as a, the horror movie voice of the show, a lot of my horror brethren were hating on this movie, right? They hated It 1. Not that scary. Uh, it does fall back on jump scares a lot. I think it's kind of the nature of the big studio movies. Sure. Because The Conjuring does the same scare a lot, right? Where yeah. it's And the whole Conjuring universe is, like, absurd with it. Mm-hmm. I think studio execs are like, I want the jump scare. Jesus, give me the jump. It has to feel like a ride. Right. Um. So it does suffer from some of that. But what I love about it is you almost never see horror on this scale, right? No. This huge fucking grandiose epic scale with such amazing production value right um so i was excited to get back into this world of dairy uh what did you think uh as you were leaving the theater um well i saw it so i i saw it at 10 30 at night because my kid and my wife went to bed so i was like right. well, I'll just go, I'll go i'll go check this thing out and then i walked into the yeah, theater like, and like, i have five free hours to watch this infinitely long movie <laughs> yeah i don't know if you guys know this i actually am starting the uh, this is sunday i went to the theater friday i just got back from the movie um, right. <laughs> we'll get to that um but no uh so i went at 10 30 at night not knowing the length of this film and i was like i walked into the theater i was like and then uh, at the Arclight, they give you the little spiel like, hey, welcome to the Arclight. You're going to see this movie. And then the guy's like, yeah, we have a runtime of two hours and 49 minutes. Like, fuck. Yeah, you're like, I'm fuck. a dad now. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> this is important. You have no idea the lengths I went to go and see this movie. Like, I, I walked out of the theater and grabbed, like, a coffee and a soda. I'm like, I have to, like, just blast myself with caffeine. But yeah. uh, my first impression walking out of the theater was – I have to go to bed. But no, the th- the actual <laughs> impression I had was that ultimately I, I, I definitely prefer – I think I prefer chapter one to chapter two. Um, sure. Leaving the theater, I was impressed by just the fact that it's 10.30 – it's one thirty in the morning when I'm leaving. And 
I just walked out of a Stephen King adaptation for a movie that is a major studio picture. Like, that's a huge deal. Like, yeah. we're sitting here, and like, I don't know, if, like, for those of you, I'm sure if you listen to this show, you have seen the original It, the original adaptation from the 90s with like... Uh, Tim uh, Curry. Uh, thank you, with Tim Curry. Um, it's like a four-hour miniseries. Didn't make it to theaters, by the way. Yeah. Like, it's a four-hour <laughs> fucking miniseries. This was like a six-hour movie really combine if you combine it ch- combine yeah. chapter one like that's oh, i thought a- you're just talking about chapter two Jesus Christ, <laughs> yeah yeah like, our dad grievances that's the we worst need naps and bedtime that's like the worst part is like i i know i'm getting older and like i clearly like yeah. my life has completely changed because i'm like reading on like slash film andy machete's like threatening us with a six hour cut and i'm like no no yeah. don't make me watch that whole thing again. but ultimately i walked out i think i like chapter one better but um just the phenomenal ability to say it was in theaters and I saw it and that was really, yeah. really cool. This is like a touchstone Keevan good lord. Touchstone Stephen King story. And I mean it's it's an it's an achievement, no matter what no matter what how you feel about For the movie sure. overall, it's an achievement. Yeah, I I mean I agree with you. I think one of the things that I I kinda hate how this movie's become a proxy for other things, right? Like the film critics use this as this is my chance to show my literary chops and take a lot of shots at Stephen King's writing. Right. Which I hate, right? I read so many reviews that talk shit on the book It. I read it. It's really fucking good. It's really fun. But if you don't like that genre of book, fuck off. Don't read it. Right. Like I hate them taking these cracks at Stephen King, the writer. It's like, guys, the the jury's in Stephen King won. Yeah. We love him. He's great. (laughs) Been around Uh, since the seventies guys. No, no way out of this. There's a lot of other people that are still doing this. Tim Curry in the original It is better than this movie. And I'm sorry, I love Tim Curry, but that's not even one of his better roles. Like, if you think that original movie holds a fucking candle to the best moments of this series, you're out of your fucking mind. And again, I don't blame Tim Curry and what he did. Not at all. It's just a dramatically inferior made-for-TV version of this story. That is the true... That is the true issue, is, like, people who... It's it's like this. If people are drunk on nostalgia, they're like, "Oh, wasn't yeah. it so good?" I'm like, "Was it? Like, really?" No, and, watch and this. That. Is the thing I actually do enjoy it. I think no, it's, no, fine. it's fine. But I think what people do is the clown movie scared me more when I saw it at four years old. Yeah. Than this one does in my late twenties or thirties or whatever. And it's like, well, yeah, of course you fucking Nimrod. But what I'm saying is, I this is what I took away right. I was actually impressed that they landed this movie, right? I think I think it's shockingly disjointed. It's way too long. Yeah. But if you read the book, all of the A material in the book is in the children's section. Right. The, the sections of the story where they're kids is way better than when they're adults, right? Right. So they already were fighting this uphill battle, and it, one, became, you know, this huge runaway hit. So it was going to be hard. Right. Um. I th- and especially the ending of it, if you remember, all kinds of crazy metaphysical, like space battling, wrapping up weird. tongues. Like it's insane. So I was fascinated to see how they were going to fix that problem, and I think they did a pretty good job. We'll get to that later. But right. my theory in the movie is my biggest because I I did really enjoy my time. I didn't find it scary myself, but I didn't find it one particularly scary. Right? No, I don't no. think horror movies have to. I don't have to leave the theater shaking like a junkie. To enjoy a horror film, right? I, I think there's a lot of great things that happen. But yeah. I told my mom and my wife went with me, and I was like, this isn't scary. You know what I mean? Right. 
Uh, later that night, my wife was like, I had a bunch of nightmares about that movie. And same with my mom. She's like, you lied. It was terrifying. So, you know, for some people, it is working on that I level. I, I, I Look, I am not... I am not by any stretch like look since we've started doing pods together is the reason I've gone to the theaters to see horror movies. Other than that, right? <laughs> I, it's just not one of those things I either I either wait for it to be on TV or I don't watch it at all. Like I'm one of those I'm one of those viewers like I like them a lot, but I do generally not like it's not like one of my go-tos. So right. I went alone to see this movie and like that is one of those things where I know that I could take like I'm not going to take my mom because my mom's a scaredy cat and I love her. But she gets she scares easily. But like, it's one of those things where I've tried to convince Andre over the last year to watch it chapter two because it's not that scary. And she's like, "No, it'll scare me." I'm like, "It's really it's the way I would always describe it to people is like it's not because my mom asked if like she's like, did you see that scary movie?" I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, it's scary." And she's like, "Well, it's like too scary." I'm like, "It's creepy." Like it would scare the fuck out of your mom. Like it would scare the shit out of my mom. But like the what my mom said is that she's she said I was tense the entire film. Okay, I was not. But I, no, but I do think one of the things about this movie is I think they're so much better at tension building. Yes. Than the payoff, right? Sure. You sit in this scene, you're like, oh, fuck, something's about to happen. And you get the tension build. And then all of a sudden it turns into like a cartoon jump scare. Yeah. Not as good. I, but the them sitting there in dread, I find really good in these movies. Yeah. The tension building's wonderful. And like that is the thing that I think makes the It movies so good, particularly the first one. This was um, this was it was just a different flavor and like again it's because you're changing actors you're shifting set like it's the same setting but it's shifting a little bit but right you also have to shift the tone considerably because it's no longer children who are in danger it's the adult versions of the, like when kids are in danger when kids are experiencing danger the tension is almost tenfold because. You don't want any nobody wants kids to die that's terrible like but also you you assume a safety for the characters, right. which I think this movie has a little bit of a leg up because we assume now, oh, they can kill any of these motherfuckers. Yeah. So it lets the movie breathe a little more. Right. I think it is weird because you hit on it, right? When it's children facing down their kind of this archetype of all childhood fears in the form of a clown, it works a lot better than adults coming back and staring down the kind of horrors and trauma of their adulthoods, which right. all of the losers seem to have some serious shit going on and then it's a clown you're like okay you know well, like my mine would be like my my it would now be just dressed as like a comcast customer service guy or something You'd be like no <laughs> yeah it's weird everyone <laughs> seems to have serious issues in their adulthood except for bill dembro like bill's bill's worst thing is like he writes bad endings but still sells books yeah. okay still well. a millionaire Still famous, uh, still has an actress wife. Like he's all right. Yeah, his life's great. Literally, everyone comparatively is. No, Richie's like a, pretty good. Richie's I mean, good. This is the thing, though. In the book, they talked about the the stain of what happens with it as a child. It draws them away from Derry, and they're all exceptionally successful for the most part. Right. I, and I think that's supposed to be as a tactic to keep them away. Right. Right. And that's why they have this great. I mean, again, the book has like all these extra kind of layers of weirdness. Right. I think in this one, it's like, why would they come back? You're already successful. I would do the exact same thing because at the end, Pennywise is like, I'm the eater of worlds. I'm like, you eat like eight kids every 27 years. Yeah. Like that. That does not make a world. Uh, It's fine. 
You know, it's fine. Eventually you'll eat dairy and no one needs dairy and it's fine. I'm going to keep being a famous stand-up comedian or whatever. Right. Right? Only Beverly, I'm like, she should have left. Yeah, Bev's the only one who's like, she, yeah. she, <laughs> yeah, like she did not have a yeah. great, like her and Pennywise, Mi- not as bad as what Bev's dealing with. Her, sure. and, her and Mike have considerably terrible lives, like comparatively to the rest of them. Like Mike's life is fine. He's just a librarian. He seems happy. But like, did they leave out? Does he seem happy? <laughs> well, unfortunately, he remembers everything. <laughs> yeah, it's like he seems pretty fucking miserable. Yeah, Mike me. has like <laughs> Mike has like the curse of knowledge. But I mean, ultimately, yeah. yeah, like the stakes are considerably different, I guess, because they're all adults. Um, and again, I I, uh, I don't know. I felt like I felt it was a little less dangerous this time. Right, maybe. I mean, in a way. I, this is my theory to you is I think one of the problems with the movie that I, I had kind of a twofold narrative issue, right? Which is one, I thought the whole point was supposed to be them coming back and reuniting and forming their bond, right? That right. by having this close kind of familial bond, we can take on the traumas of the world. Right. And I know, again, in the book, they all have to walk around and gain their memories. I didn't like that the losers were constantly separated. Yeah. I like the I, group dynamic. I had a lot an issue more. with that a lot, too. Like, yeah. That then it I just turns was... into little vignettes, it felt to me, yeah. rather than like a narrative. I had a uh, – uh, Andre asked me, and I said, uh, the middle of the movie is kind of like um, those choose-your-own-adventure books, but you don't follow the rules of the choose-your-own-adventure books. Right. You like read all <laughs> – you read all the endings, and you just yeah, like – Yeah, you do the one, and you're like, this sucks. I'm going to go back and choose a better one. Not even that. You're literally like – I mean like reading it chronologically, like page by page, and you're like, oh, okay, that's the ending of that. That's the, like That's kind of how it felt like for an hour in this movie where all of the kids are trying to find yeah. their tokens for the ritual. Is I was just like – I I understand like I would have cut two of those out like I don't care about like I don't need to know like the ones that I want to know right. about are like Bev and Bill and probably Mike uh, and probably Ben like those are the ones yeah. that I think are actually like probably fascinating and then I, I mean the uh, everything with uh, Richie was actually way more interesting with that little extra wrinkle they threw in there which I thought was right. Cool. Well, what what I would have done, right, I think you're close to what I thought is the easiest way to chop length off this movie. I didn't want any of the kids to come back. I was oh, done with the any, child losers. You didn't, and want, I think you didn't what, want any flashbacks or anything like I that? I don't want any of the childhood stuff, right? Because what they kept doing is these are adults who are permanently stuck fighting their childhood fights. Right. I want to see what it looks like with adults fighting their adult fights, right? And then it turns the grief and the memory and the traumas into this kind of dark, secreted past and right. see how that affects them now, right? By constantly going back, I think it, like you said, you didn't really latch on to the adult losers. And I think it's because they kneecapped the adult losers to just walk us through, you know, it 1.5. Yeah, kind of. Because it's funny because I remember from the book, there are all these like childhood moments, right? Like Ben's on the bridge and he sees the mummy in the frozen tundra and the giant Paul Bunyan. Right. And when it chapter one ended, I'm like, you know, they did a really good job of cutting out some of those scenes that wouldn't have worked as well to me. Right. And then I watched this movie. I was like, oh, fuck, they're all here. I was like, they didn't cut them. They saved them for part. two. Like, I don't want to see Richie running from Paul Bunyan. Right. I want to see modern day Richie dealing with Pennywise. That was one of the better of the the scenes. Right. Yeah. Stop taking me back to the, the losers as kids. I want to deal with this. The losers as adults. Yeah, there was a lot of reliability on um, flashback and about like what yeah. happened in the past, which is interesting because like so much of the beginning of this movie is about how everyone has forgotten the past other than like Mike. Right. And so when they start coming together and they start remembering things, 
I, I don't know. Like it's it's a weird choice. Like I guess I understand. Like it's the matter of like sure. showing and not telling. Like you want to show the past, not tell everyone. Oh, remember that one time? Like that obviously is bad storytelling. But at the same time, there's another way to do that. I think without yeah. having to just film sequences whole. You know, whole out like the Paul Bunyan sequence. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I, I feel like they didn't let the adult losers have the room. And that kind of like the prime example of this to me, here's what I would chop out immediately because it adds no value to the film is Bowers. Yes. Okay. I was he bl- is I'm our glad big bad at the start of the, the first movie. Right. Yeah. And in the book, he has this fascinating journey of Pennywise still is like, I need a human agent. I need you gets him out of the asylum. Right. Again, they kind of did the zombie friend driving him around. But in this movie, that just kind of happens really briefly. And we don't get anywhere into the psychology of why is this guy been at bay? What has he been dealing with waiting for 27 years? Now the clown's back. What does that do to affect him? We spend almost no time with him. Right. He shows up and tries to stab two people, and that's it. We yeah. kind of just brush over this whole he's in a zombie Camaro or whatever. <laughs> I was like, it just felt like why is this added, right? He, yeah. We don't do enough with Bowers to make him matter. Yeah. Because he's kind of the flip side. Of Mike, right? He also seemingly remembers because he never left. Right. But everyone thinks he's insane. Well, I'm so so play with that. Like, if you want to use Bowers again, cut out all of the flashbacks of Bowers and like sit with Bowers now, right? Like, why is there not a scene of him hashing it out with uh, the zombie driver? Why, like in the first one, Pennywise speaks to him through a children's show. Yeah. Why couldn't we have gotten that scene? Something like that. So Bowers to me becomes a prime example of the future and present being ruined by this reliant on the past material. Right. Cause I think he's a great character and I was excited to see him back, but I mean, fuck, he barely plays in this movie. Well, yeah, I thought that was, a, he's there I, for one mullet joke. That's it. Yeah. Like there was something about, it's two things I noted that I was just like, this could have been done without, which was a, the Bowers, like the Henry Bowers line. I know that's important in the book, but I really think for the purpose of the movie, you can cut it out entirely as well. Yeah. The other thing that I noticed, and I don't know, this is something that I think is going to start. It's something that I've noticed creeping up in a lot of like horror movies now is we've talked a lot about on the show, like the line that's blurred between. I mean, the, the, the difference between comedy and horror is like, I don't know, two seconds. I felt like a lot of things got punctuated by bits and by jokes. And like normally yeah. it's look, if you're going to have Bill Hader in a movie, yes, you should let Bill Hader do what Bill Hader does best. But right. there are a lot of like sad things, scary things, or just like things in general that I thought should have been taken a little more seriously or like let land a little further as far as like scares go that yeah. were instead punctuated by this levity, which I don't think you need in this kind of movie. Like we all know what movie we're getting ourselves into when we go see it. Like I don't need right. I don't need anyone to reassure me that everything's gonna be okay at the end of the scene. Well, again, like them joking at the Jade Palace, perfect. Sure. Now, Eddie, who is essentially a coward, right, right, uh, getting stabbed in the cheek, stabbing a man who he thinks he stabs in the heart, and then slowly walking out and doing a mullet joke. Yeah. That that doesn't land for me. Well, it didn't. But then this is like the debatable moment, right? At the very end, you're facing a gigantic spider version of the clown. Exactly. Uh, but this is the thing. My wife, her favorite scene in the movie when we left was the Pomeranian scene. Okay, see, and that was the problem I had. Me, I had a huge problem yeah. with that scene. I mean, it plays funny, but again, it's you're taking the piss out of 
Penny, but this is the thing. I think the ending plays differently to where I can understand that, right? Sure. Because for Richie, the comedy is a defense mechanism. Right, right. So it makes sense that he would constantly be laughing in the face of this absurd danger because that's just his fallback. Right. And again, I think in the end we'll get to they really lose the battle of wills versus the giant monster fight. Right. But I think there's a way to look at it where that still works. Um, but again, like this is something I think about too with this. The movie actually starts very brutally, right? With the attacking yeah. of the the gay couple. Mm-hmm. And what I liked is essentially you see that Derry and the atmosphere of Derry has created a new Bauer and gang. Yeah. Bowers and gang. So why do we need to go back if you're not going to really use it, right? Right. So I think what they – I would have liked to have seen more work on showing this constant that – Dairy is essentially a farm of evil. Like new crops are constantly arising. Right. And people aren't, uh, you know, aware of the evil or paying right. enough. There is a whole thing about you know the adults don't see what's happening. Mm-hmm. So, but that opening scene is so fucking unrelentingly brutal. Oh, it yeah. was hard to watch it, in the theater. Totally, it's difficult because it's it's just one of those things. Like, it's not something I like. It's not something any of us like think is the right thing is the right thing about this world, but. It is just the way things are. Like people are horrible, people are hateful. But yeah, I think that, I think that though it speaks to the, it speaks to the character of the movie itself, which is confronting the past in a cyclical nature. Like that is the thing right. that I think is the most impressive part about the storytelling nature of this whole movie is where we're at in the story is that kind of everything that goes around comes around. And of course, there's another Bowers game. And of course, they're you know fucking MAGA hat dickhead, you know, gay bashers, whatever. Like they're t- not MAGA hat. Meg Ryan hair, gay. Bash. Sorry, Meg Ryan hair. <laughs> but, sorry, yeah, I mispronounced Meg Ryan. Um, yeah, like it was th- that it was that it was Bev's situation. All of them have sort oh, of for sure. All of them have sort of run into this cyclical, na- seen the cyclical nature of their lives. Like we're getting to experience, like when we meet everybody again. I think that's the yeah. thing I like the most is uh, as far as like, cause I feel like we did this three times where we like repeat the separate, like they're all separated. So we just repeat yeah. the thing over and over again. Well, they which, do it in the intro. They do it when they're looking for their totems. And then and once do, the fight starts, they break right, out, they break out. So like their intros, yeah, made, the intros made sense. Like I understand their intros, sure. but all of them are sort of dealing with their cyclical nature of their lives. Like, you know, Eddie is married to a woman who is pretty much his mother. And I believe it's actually the same actress. I thought that was it really is cool. right. I think it yeah. is too, right? Yeah. So <laughs> Eddie's, you know, Eddie's married to a woman like his mother. Bev's dealing with the same abuse issues at home. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, Mike's Mike. Mike is uh, and Mike's story is very fascinating to me. I'm not. I wasn't quite sure. Like his his story is simply he has to stay. Like I think that's a really fascinating. That's really fascinating. Well, no, I, I think they the, they the, built the out on Mike of he kind of takes his grandfather's advice, right? That if you don't learn to take the reins and fight, you end up the sheep in the pen. Right. And Mike kind of weirdly enough did take that advice, right? Like he's the guy who will not take a second off yeah. from trying to figure out how to beat Pennywise for almost 30 years. But what I like too, because I've been reading a lot online that people were mad about this opening scene because of just the, the vulgarity of watching this couple get beaten down. What I, what I think the scene does really well and you hit on it perfectly is, what it's showing you is that we don't need a Pennywise to create evil. Right. Right? So we're watching this pure human nature evil. And then when the, the guy gets thrown off the uh, river or whatever, 
Pennywise then appears and assaults him almost as if the the horrific nature of what we're generically capable of is too much to fathom. So then we have this generic boogeyman to try right. to explain it away. But Pennywise wasn't the one stomping these guys for nothing, just for being happy in someone else's vicinity who's not happy. Right. Um, so there is this brutal fucking nature. Cause I, me and my wife were cringing in our seats. Oh, it's and horrible. And then you cut to a car accident, a suicide, a husband just beating the shit out of his wife. Yeah. I mean, we were sitting there. I was like, this is fucking intense. And for again, for a movie that once we get to the clowns kind of starts playing it off and taking the scare away. Yeah. This opening scene is just real world, human on human brutality. And I think it really sets the stage for... Why would these people go back? And it's because everywhere they've been, they experienced evil. Yeah. At one point in their life, they were able to combat it and seemingly defeat evil incarnate. Right. You know, that makes sense that perhaps they'd want to go back and, you know, even though they can't control husbands and, you know, everything else. No. Maybe they can do this one thing and save some innocent children. Totally. I think that opening, as brutal as it is, isn't just for shock value. I think it serves no. a really important the imp- uh, uh you know, point moving forward for the movie. I think the point of the brutality of that opener is simply to set the tone of the movie itself so that when we get back to Derry and when we start dealing with more like fantastic elements of these kids, like horrors themselves, it feels, and this is a weird way to put it, but it feels almost lighter in a way. Like we've seen the absolute worst of humanity at the beginning of this movie. So now, moving forward, we can watch this movie and see, like, oh, these are kids that are trying to grapple. These are people that are trying to grapple with their own humanity and grapple with the evil that is trying to overtake their town. But we all know full well that humans, you know, people are inherent. Some people are inherently evil themselves. So, like, there's more evil out there. But this is, like, concentrated into dairy. So we can work on the dairy problem first by doing by basically I don't know. It's such a fascinating, like the opener right. is so intense and yet you're so intense. You're actually getting off camera. You're just sliding forward. Oh, you're really sorry. into it. Keep <laughs> moving forward. Hey. No, I, I see exactly what you're saying though, because what I think this movie does and it does make it slightly less scary. I think as we get into dairy, but when you're an adult who has survived trauma, mm-hmm. right? All the traumas now feel at arm's length. These people could all choose to run, which they seemingly do constantly. Right. Uh, They just never get out, but they can all leave, man. Like, they took their worst, and they're out, and even if bad things are still happening, the very fact that they've survived to adulthood makes it less scary than a child facing a monster. Right. Where you're like, I don't know if I'll ever see the next thing. They've already had a longish life. Right. So it it keeps the – what I think this one does well, right, is the first movie functions a lot on – Um, The concept of fear in general, and no matter what form it takes, however silly it might seem to us as grownups or other people, it can scare the fuck out of you because the world is so new and big and expansive, right? Right. And as kids, we feel so fucking small and tiny. Right. This one does the opposite where it's it's more focusing on this hollowed out nature of a human, right? Like We feel like now we have it all figured out, but we still can't get over what's happening in the past, right? They always say it's that. The grand, the grand assumption is that if we could take our hearts away and just use our brains, we'd be like superhumans, right? Everything would be perfect. And then they find, you know, once you get lobotomized in this and that, some people still can't function. It's not – it's a book I'm reading. It's no big deal. 
But what it is is that we're all kind of driven by these emotions. So no matter what you do or what you achieve or how well you think you have it under control, sometimes you still are just a scared little child. So this one, the, the fear is not as pressing as the others because they're not the ones being hunted most of the movie. Right. I mean, I think and all they're doing is running around and yelling at this one poor child in the town. <laughs> that poor oh, yeah, kid. This Jesus. poor kid who's just like getting every step you think of the when way. When he saw the clown, he was like, "Finally, Jesus, get me away from these <laughs> fucking grown-ups who keep grabbing me and screaming in my face." I mean, I feel like it's interesting cuz we get this like twofold, we get the opener and then uh Stanley's suicide. Which by the way, Andy Bean is an incredible actor and I absolutely love. It. He's in the Swamp Thing series on uh DC Universe, but it he's just wonderful, man. Uh in the like 5 minute span he's in this movie, he's so good. And yeah. like the true terror that probably one feels from something they can't like he's really kind of the only one who's truly remembering what happened like everyone else yeah. is like has this very hazy negotiated memory of like what it was he it feels like he understands what what they're about to go back and do which is why he yeah. does what he does but again like it's so brutal and fascinating though and well, Andy also because just, we sit in his living room and see like this guy's got a really good life really like, nice he life. seems truly they just booked, happy they just booked a vacation like you know they're, they're living their best yeah. lives if there's one thing that would push me over the edge, it would be thinking of a vacation abroad. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's you, you know. I hate traveling, so that's me. No, I yeah, I, I think this is what I mean. I, I love the actors in this movie, man. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just like spending time with them. And we can sit and argue the, is this scary enough? Is that? I don't think that's truly the point of the movie. No, I don't think so. Right? Either. And I think it's all punching, you know, punching out its shadows. Yeah. Right? Things that are there that we think are there stronger than they are and they're not. And the way you... You baggage and hide your grief sometimes. I think the movie does an exceptional job at that, even as, you know, again, I feel like it's really overly long and kind of bloated and there's too much of the kids and not enough of the adult losers. Right. When the adult losers get their shots, though, I think it's really good. Yeah, they're all Also, fantastic. I did have a question for you. Yeah. What do you think the people that share the exact lot line with the Nebel house are thinking? Okay. Okay. Like, I didn't realize this in the book. When you read it, you think of it like way out in the middle of nowhere by train tracks. I'm like, they have two neighbors that share a property line. Okay. I'm so glad like, you brought cool. this up. Cause, <laughs> and this is like one of those, like you're in your thirties things you start looking at when yeah, you, cause like, you sure. know, you know, we all want, we all want to progress in our lives in some way. And obviously so I, like, I've been trying to look at like property and that kind of stuff. And I was I, like, as the house was collapsing in on itself, I was like, wait a second. This is a fucking neighborhood, and all the neighbors are just okay with this eyesore. Like, it's got to be bringing property value down by like at least five grand. Like, oh yeah. Well, not only that, just like, hey, hey, what are you guys doing over there? Get up below. <laughs> no, because this is a real thing that happened last night. I was watching Total Recall to prepare for this month's theme. Right. Right. Uh, someone in our neighborhood decided they were going to light some fireworks off, like fifteen fireworks. It wasn't a huge deal, but it was annoying. I was yeah. like, that's great. I'm trying to watch Cohagen over here, but that's cool. Interrupt my night, you know, because you've had three cores Lights. That's cool. <laughs> well, next thing you know, my, my phone starts blowing up that I have all these Facebook notifications. And we have a neighborhood Facebook group. Yikes. <laughs> and so all the, like, uh, moms who have nothing to do, moms and dads who have nothing to do except for talk about, like, property values and shit. Right. <laughs> They're super annoying. I'm like, you guys need better hobbies. We live in a world of wonders. Like, come on. No one needs to talk about neighborhood shit. Right. But they're like, did I miss a holiday? 
there's all this fucking fighting and then someone's posting like the municipal codes on fireworks and i was like guys do like me just watch total recall and have another beer like calm the fuck down but this is a real but then i was like imagine if kneebolt street house was in my neighborhood right these moms would be freaking the fuck out that's all their whole lives would be is how do we destroy this house again i think in the story it's the you know the you can't see me adults can't see pennywise and this and that but it was one of those funny adult things where i was like no way the neighborhood ladies were you know like on a saturday night looking up (laughs) municipal fire codes are gonna let this house just stand (laughs) well yeah that was the thing and again obviously i'm sure like to the outside world it looks like a brand new house whatever like you know we are seeing we are seeing what the losers (laughs) see so like obviously it's the kneebold house it's terrifying but again like it's just like one of those things where you see stuff like that and it creeps and you're like, hey, wait a second. There's yeah, not a hey, neighborhood what? in the there's not a municipal there's not a neighborhood in the world that would let that fucking place stand. Like everyone would be yeah. like, knock that thing down. It's an eyesore. Hey, I don't want it in my neighborhood anymore. Perceptions change, man. For my very short stand in stand up comedy, I only had one joke that ever got laughs, and it was about how my porn habits changed once I moved in with my girlfriend. Because I was like, now you start looking around at like where they're fucking, and you're like that guy can't afford this house or oh the curtains don't even match the bedspread like and i was like oh great living with my girlfriend's ruining my porn but that was like my only joke that ever worked was that my perceptions had shifts and now i've done that as like an old guy who lives in a neighborhood right right but um here's another thing about the movie that i think again whatever this movie is or isn't i think bill skarsgård has placed himself in the all-time pantheon of amazing horror movie villains absolutely uh, and question. to me the evidence i would submit is that scene with the little girl under the bleachers oh my god yes that is one of my all-time favorite new boogeyman scene ever i yeah. think that scene is fucking brilliant it's not iconic and as visceral as georgie no but fuck and, and this is the thing too and this one pennywise actually plays vulnerable yeah Right. It's the difference between how the Terminator acts in T1 versus T2. Right. Right. Now he's like, oh, I'll drill you in with this vulnerability. That scene crushed my heart because also the girl had her little birthmark that everyone made fun of. Uh-huh. So she felt a little monstrous herself and was weak. Oh, the- oh, that scene is I mean, but honestly, take everything else away. And again, a lot of Pennywise scares devolve into this cartoonish, you know, shit show. Right. That one. That's all-time brilliance. Well, like, that, actually, is, that is masterful storytelling across the It was board. absolutely wonderful, particularly because when the scene starts and the little girl's like, no, you're a stranger. I'm getting out of here. I'm scared. And I'm like, good for you, girl. All right, cool. Yeah. These kids from the these kids from the 2000s are learning stranger danger. And then, mm-hmm. But then, yeah, he like turns on the vulnerability and the charm. I'm like, wow, this is this scene in and of itself might be one of the more terrifying moments in the movie. Absolutely. Is, like, It's a firefly leading the kid in. And then, like, relating to her on her level. And then just, like, look, I, I hate the jump scares in this movie. I'm just going to put that out there. I absolutely hate them. Like, this movie can be yeah, scary in and of I'm itself. I'm not a jump I don't scare either, fan. Ha! I'm with you. I don't either. Ha! Like, that yeah. whole shit annoys the shit out of me. But I got to give it up for this one. Because that might be my favorite, like, lead-on jump scare, which is, you didn't count to three. Like, that? Come on, man. <laughs> I'll take that See, every day. I- I, I'll throw that part out. I don't need to see her get bitten in the face. No, it's just kind of one of those things to me eaten. where I'm like, I didn't want to see that shot. I didn't want to see that either. I right? don't like that. But this gets back to what my mom said. There is an immense, overwhelming dread in that scene. Yeah. Because, again, you're really rooting for this girl. Her parents don't seem to be interested in it. She's kind. Of, you know she's in mortal danger. Right. 
and you just you really sympathize with her that this girl is so bullied that she's like, well, I know what's going on, and that overrides her preservation. Right. I thought that that scene alone. Take out the last second of that scene. I mean, it's fucking flawless. It's awesome. It's so good, and that. That's what is so scary about Pennywise and Skarsgård's performances. The other performance moment he has is when he's uh, actually in his human form. Yeah. And he's putting on his makeup. It's so fucking terrifying the way he does this character. And again, I heard a great review of this, right? I think his name's John Squire. He runs Bloody Disgusting or I think that's who he is. He's on Twitter. Right. Really good about his horror movie writing. Um, obviously, like a big name in the community that I can't remember. But he said that this movie reminded him of Andy Machete doing his version of a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, which the final marquee that we see is Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. No big deal. But what I like is there is this kind of playing around with the dream worlds and this and that. And I keep hearing it described as giant funhouse whore, right? That they set up these amazing set pieces that then we're doing like this this game in, right? It becomes this fun house game. Right. You know, like the one we saw from the trailer with the old lady. When right. she comes out as a giant like slender man with saggy tits and like yeah. a Junji Ito face, I was like, that's not scary to me. And also gross. like Bev just runs away. That's how she beats it. She just walks away. I'll so again, this- that, that kind of stuff is not scary to me. But the scars guard where they just let him be Pennywise is fucking scary. The scars guard scary and preceding that though the th- only the scary part with the old woman is when she's in the background and she pauses and then she walks away like jittery that that I was actually yeah. like that's fucking scary like but that actually that to me it's that that is one of those horror movie things that kind of bothers me a little bit is like why why is she there and what is she doing by jittering like oh, that's just something that. they add in creepy just shit why not? Because, give me some I creepy know, shit. But, Pennywise's whole method of operation period is weird. It's again, like as we're going through all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, it's the same thing about when does Freddy just decide he needs to kill kids versus why is he keeping them alive for so, you know, sometimes it gets a little muddied. Right. This is how I feel with Pennywise. Like, dude, you only wake up once every 27 years. You should be eating more kids. Like you show us in the floating scene, there's like 50 kids. Right. And you show us when Bowers gets washed out that there's dead bodies everywhere. But I only see you getting, like, three kids a movie. Like, you should be a better hunter, right? Like, come on, man. Well. So, I, I don't know. The fun the fun house horror stuff, it works for me sometimes. Other times, not as much. Like, when Bill gets sucked into the sewer and all the little hands are out, the imagery of that is fantastic. Yeah. But it's also, like, he kind of gets away easily. So, I, I don't know. It, all it's of them a hard get balance. Away from their, all of them get away from their respective, like, personal journeys and for finding their tokens pretty easily like right well it is this why does pennywise want them alive he kind of talks about i craved you i dreamed of you yeah. and it's like but for what so they could come here and whoop your ass in a cave like is that yeah is that all i didn't know also they were all crossfit strong and could climb down that wet rock face <laughs> i watched that scene and i was like i'd be dead well the only one who could, the only one who's in myself. shape enough to do is definitely ben and ben's i mean you know ben was great yeah Ben, hunky Ben would definitely be like, hold my shirt. That's the (laughs) most unbelievable scene is that Ben was never like, Bev, hold my shirt. I got to handle something. Most unbelievable scene was as soon as Ben showed up and Bev wasn't just like, hmm, this is the alpha. I'm going to hang out with him. Like, (laughs) oh, or that little tiny guy. Yeah, we'll just hang out with tiny Bill Dembro with his white hair and the white foif in the front. She saw uh, glass and was like, oh, I know what's under there. (laughs) 
Right? You want a Dembro in the streets and a beast in the sheets. She knew what was up. I got to tell you, I loved I loved when they're in the Kneebold house and they pull uh, Ben's shirt up and he's getting like rebranded and all that shit. Right. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah. I get it. Like, he's he's ripped. Like, we all knew it. On like, the sly, though, that's one of the best ways to do the hunky guy 100%. Shot. Like, I was totally way, down for it. I was way down with that. I was like, totally yeah, down. dude. It was great. You hire this guy with a 12-pack? Like, that's a really good way to yeah. show it. I was That's like the that. least gratuitous, like, obnoxious way to show someone's uh six pack off in a movie ever right oh i i like that too man that was i thought that was clever man Uh, i will tell you one of the like jump house scares that really got me though was uh stanley's head spider oh my god that was just kind of vulgar and oh man that That one really got me though that was really gross and i was not prepared But that's what i mean though right if you really think about it I don't think the biggest moments are scary, but I think there's a lot of scary shit in this movie. Oh, yeah. There's, like, right? scary little things. Like that. It bothers even- me that so many of my whore brethren are just, in general, washing this off as, ah, there's nothing. Even me, I'm kind of playing it. I was like, it's not that scary. I don't, but it really is. I don't think it it's, really is. I don't think it's like, overall, like, the scariest movie I've ever seen. What it is no. is super creepy. Like, but what I'm saying, it, it has deeply affecting moments, yeah. which to me is the most important thing a horror movie can do. I'll tell you right now, the way the thing that indicates to me this movie is going to be one of those things I think about was the first thing that hatched out of one of those fucking fortune cookies was like a baby, a screaming baby, like, I don't know what it was, yeah. some sort of roach, like yeah. a roach with a baby head that's screaming like, that's the grossest thing I've ever seen on tele- on television or movies. I never want to see that again. You know what's weird? Rotten food stuff always gets me. Yeah, it's disgusting. It is like a true thing that just always works on me. Like, that oh. and like that and like <laughs> medical, like everything that uh, Eddie had to go through for get to getting his token. Yeah. That was disgusting. Like, yeah. Even though it's all visual effects, like the, le- the, way, the leper I, thing will never is- not be gross to me. The leper thing to me, I think the leper is actually like the poster child for the moments I don't like in it. I didn't like it in the first one. It's just kind of so cartoonish and silly. This one is baffling to me because Eddie's finally like starting to choke it, which becomes a big important element in the end, right? Like I made him small to where I could choke him. Here's a baffling decision, right? Because you know these movies, a lot of people are making a lot of choices. The thing then decides he's going to puke all over him in his mouth, right? Right pretty standard kind of sloppy body horse stuff. are you talking to you're gonna why did they start playing that fucking okay. song call me baby call me angel okay i i was i was actually wondering i um i, I forgot to ask you before the show started because i i thought it might have been a mistake and it was a miscue and it i'm felt, like well i was like our oh, wait are you saying this is like is that a sexy moment for him like what are you saying in that moment right? i honestly thought it was an accident and we had gotten like a weird cut of the movie like i i don't I was well. One, you're like, it's a song that's not super important to the time period. Uh, no need for a song, a lyrical song there at all. <laughs> in the lyrics, it's like, this is a love song about him getting puke in his mouth, and that's like his biggest fear. But, that moment to me, I was, but it was also I like, stopped was, and I kind of looked around the theater, se- like, it was seven seconds of the song. I didn't understand. I honestly yeah, thought it was what? a mistake. That's one of those. It's like I'm not a huge. I I would be very interested to be. Please explain to me what happened yeah. there. That would be my only Why question. Why is that the moment? Yeah. I want to know the that reasoning That one totally pulled that. me out of the movie and the story, and I was just, what? Yeah. I was so fucking baffled when that happened. I was, I, I didn't understand. I honestly, I swear to God, I thought it was a mistake on the cut. And I was like, oh, that's weird. That's kind of embarrassing. I wonder if anybody else saw that. 
Like I wonder if any yeah, other. It was I like wonder that if any and other Pennywise's tongue when he's licking there. glass, right? Like those were the two moments I was like, "Oh, that's not good." It was so weird. Like I didn't yeah. understand it. Yeah, yeah. I really like. That's one of those things where I would actually. I would not like. I, I rarely. I don't give a shit normally, but I would really would actually like tweet to Andy Machete, be like, "Can you explain this real quick?" I'm so. There confused. has to be some kind of inside joke that we didn't get. Yeah, right? it's got. Like, there has to be a reason that was put there. It doesn't make any sense. Like. I mean, just and like, it, again, it's it's ruining a scare. Well, right, like to be diegetic with that, and like also just plug it into the movie, and then all of a sudden, no, out of nowhere, like it ends, and you're like, all right, we're back to the score, cool. Like I didn't, yeah. I didn't understand. Well, it didn't, that that is truly it was baffling. very baffling. like more baffling than the property line dispute. <laughs> but all right, so let's get to this ending. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of how they wrap this beast up? Right. Because, again, we didn't have the Great Turtle. We don't have the Cosmic Journey. We do see that it has landed here millions of years ago, has lived in this area, comes out and feasts every so often. Yeah. I mean, we get some... Uh, what did you make of how the final, the Ritual of Chewed plays out for you? You know, we get some deadlights and we get the Ritual of Chewed. Like, there's... Uh, I'll say this. I was actually... It was much more... I would have liked more about the deadlights for What's me. What's that? I would have liked a little more on the deadlights. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's requires kind of one of those a little great more explanation. Stephen King I, things he does, where he gives you a here's like a concept that's kind right. of open for you to fill. Well, I, I could use a little more. I think the thing I like the most about using those items, like that particularly, is like deadlights. For instance, is a thing that like is expansive all across like the Stephen King verse. Like it's a huge deal in. Um, the Dark Tower series. Like, it's a big part of... Right. Like, there's aspects of, like, Pennywise and what he actually is and the Deadlights that is um, a much larger part of the Dark Tower and a couple other books that he's written. So, what well, I... It, it plays just like, you know, The Shining. Right. Uh, you know, what's happening with the old lady in the stand. Like, he does this right, great right. job of just creating I, these things... I like that. ...that like, are empty enough. So, to yeah. me, what it is, and, like, this is what I like the most about the way Andy Machete chose to, like, Right, like the way they chose to write this movie and the way they chose that he chose to direct it is, I actually like that we're not going to get like an over explanation of what it is because sure. honestly, it's like such deep cut Stephen King that I but think also it, you're like you already did that the entire second act, right? Like, okay, over explained everything exactly. Like I think he knew by the he knew that by like the nearing the third hour of this movie we can't go like we've already separated these guys three times we've already re-explained their origin stories three times what we can't do is explain what the deadlights are and take like a five minute chunk out of this movie to like explain what's going on we've already explained what the ritual of chewed is which honestly i mean i was not barely explain yeah right but i was not even expecting them to explain like the name let alone like yeah. like that that's it's pretty impressive like to throw that kind of stuff I in honestly there. can't believe they left that in. I couldn't either. I figured they'd change it to be honest with you. I knew they weren't going to do the like tying of tongues and shit like that, but I was like even this and I think the problem with this ending I have a little bit is again in the first one when it's children facing down a big monster, right? Right. You have this he's powered by their fear if they don't if they're not afraid, that's how they can take on a monster. Because I know that was like a common critique of right. they can just beat him with bats. It's like, well, you're not taking into account like the subtextual meanings of this fight. Right. I think this one has the same problem. When he's a giant kaiju Pennywise, right. and we see him just gut Eddie, right? Yeah. So we know that he can kill, and pretty easily. It It is this, because if you look at it only as this is happening in their mind, right? Like once they do the ritual and get his deadlights in the you know 
tube, whatever the fuck that thing was. Right. The uh, bladder. And they put the lid on. This is the start of the ritual. And now this is all kind of metaphysical, right? Right. Where none of this is truly happening in physical form, which makes sense as they're going through their various different tunnels and this and that. Because it focuses again on this is the battle of wills. Right. Right. That this is all a mental fight. And again, that's how they have to beat him at the end is they're just shouting him down. Right. Making him seem silly and foolish. Right. And I think that part works really well. I don't know that they did a great job of editing this sequence to focus on the the metaphysical part of the battle because it is one of no. those. It feels like it's all very real world. I mean, there's physical, a lot of like, just physicality to them? it. And again, like I feel like edit- right. And if you if you take it away from that and just make it, it's like this is a battle of the minds taking place in like again a Nightmare on Elm Street type world. Right. Then it works well. If this is actually a giant crab. They're all in their, thir- like, 40s. Like, they're not able to roll around on rocks enough. Someone's going to sprain a knee and be like, ah, and they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's, um, I don't know. It's just such a hard, like, <laughs> imagine, like, can you imagine, like, getting to the end of this movie and we had just gotten through, like, ah, yes, the metaphysical fight of the end of this film was quite, like, that to me. But I think that's what we got. We, it just plays really we did. physically. It's just very real world. But, like, ultimately, yeah. again, like... And to be fair, I don't know that you can do it better. Like, that ending is fucking insane. No, it's crazy. Again, like, the fact that we got <laughs> the things we got from the book, like, the, the things that were, like, metaphysical and also just kind of, like, weird. I think Dude, that if was... if your kid starts floating, that's going to be the best YouTube video. <laughs> I know, sorry. Not for you. <laughs> Not for me, but... But, yeah, like, ultimately, I think the thing that is weird... The things that are weird to me, for instance, about, like from the book at adapting worked very well in a movie form. I'm glad they left out some of the weirder aspects, like not explaining what Pennywise is other than just saying like he's from space probably was, I would say probably a modicum of disservice. Like I would have said a little bit more, but it's also, also I never liked that either. I kind of like him as this generic ghost man figure. It's strange to me. Like that is a very strange aspect of like what it is is like, so he's like, concretely something else entirely like he's not this aspect of our imagination that preys on it also does it's like if you're a shape-shifting murder clown there are about one million better things you could choose to shift into to kill things yeah like we see when he's fighting the native americans in that cartoon sequence right that very uh steppenwolf sequence it's like he was like a giant minotaur yeah. Like, that's a better version to kill people, Way like better. a giant minotaur with an axe. Absolutely. Than, uh, you know, a mummy. <laughs> no, totally. Yeah, it's... But, you know, again, this is... And they all kind of have to go through their individual journeys to find out. I did think it was funny that Richie and Eddie had to face down the closet. <laughs> I was like, wow, you're really nailing in this, uh, yeah. this subtext Oof. right now. Wow. It was uh, <laughs> it was something else, man. Like, Yeah, the unrequited gay love story where they open a closet that's full of a Pomeranian handbag dog. I was like, wow, come on, guys. Yeah, it was very on the nose. But again, like, that was something. But I, I love that I, addition. I really liked that addition to the story, though. Like, Well, we'll get to that in a minute yeah. when they do their uh, Return of the King endings. Oh, God. But for this one, again, they all go through their little personal battles. Right. And then they come out and they have to fight again. I don't know why everyone's just cool with Mike, the liar. It's like, hey man, wait to, wait to not be. Mike that happens four times in the movie, and then at the end, it's just like we're best friends. We love each other. Like um, again, it's hard to wrap this thing up. I think they lose some of the metaphysical and are too physical. But that final image is fucking glorious. Yeah, 
Pennywise, where he's kind of like the melted little version of himself, uh-huh. watching his heart explode. Mm-hmm. I mean, that image is fucking. It's, really it's just good. one of those kind of grotesque but oh, fascinating yeah. images. I thought I thought that was cool, man. Oh, I, for an impossible to land ending. It's kind of like the Watchmen ending, right? When they were doing that. Yeah. And you're like, how are you doing the space squid bomb? Right. They did a really good job. I think for ending a movie without having to like look. This book is like, what is it, 1,500 pages? Like, this is a 12, long... 1,200? Yeah, like, this is a 1,200-page book. Like, Stephen King had a lot of room to breathe in this thing. This is, yeah. unfortunately, three hours long, but at the same time, like... And I was actually talking... One of my friends is a huge Stephen King fan, and I'm like, this movie's three fucking hours long. He goes, that's it? There's so much to cover. I'm like, oh, God. But well, This is one of those, just because it's in the book, you're need- in a different medium now. Time to axe. Yeah. Well, like, yeah, they, and that's exactly what an I think hour and a half out of this did, movie But yeah, easily. taking it to the logical conclusion that they did, which like might feel like, look, I can see maybe where some people might feel it's a little anticlimactic. Like you get to the sure. end and you're like, oh, wow, it just like ends like he's just like a deflated little balloon and then they crush his heart. And I'm like, that's an important thing, man. Like, but the image is glorious. It's amazing right? imagery. It's it's again, it's this movie has a lot of parallels to Nightmare on Elm Street. Every single time they like one time they beat Freddy just by showing him a reflection in a mirror. Right. And you're like, well, that sucks. But then the imagery of his body separating and ripping himself apart is awesome. It's great. And it's like it's it's really hard to end these kind of bigger mental monsters. Right. This isn't an actual like brutal fight to the death. This is a battle of minds and wills, man. And again, I think they did as good as possible. And then you jump to Bill Hader, who just fucking seals it. Oh, my God. Because, again, what this God. movie does well is where it kind of fails in some of the big funhouse stuff to me, I, I start being less interested. The humanity of this movie is a deep, deep well that I would float in any day. Yeah. And Bill Hader holding Eddie is just so fucking brutal. Like, the brutality of that scene. And then we find out when he puts, uh, you know, R plus E on the bridge that he's loved this guy for a long time, right? Yeah. Um, it's really one of those things that pays off in a sequel from an original movie. I thought that was lovely, man. I, I really, really... And I could have gotten rid of all the other Lord of the Rings endings. I thought it right? was... Them on a boat. And again, we so much voiceover. So, so much, much voiceover, voiceover that we don't need. There, but that moment with Hater, and we realize he loved Eddie, I, right? I think the thing I loved oh, the most about brilliant, that... brilliant. Thing I love the most about that is we get to that like it's after he's like hit by the deadlights too like yeah and then they like and Eddie thinks he saves them right and then like oh, I man. like that whole I like it's that sequence one. and I, I'm even okay with them all like jumping into the water together because then you get to see Hater like have this really lovely moment like we get to oh, see him. that was beautiful man I love that scene. it's so beautiful like we get I to, was trying to figure out I was like is this a they're still in the fight. And Pennywise is coming out of the water. Oh man, it was. Just and honestly, that, like just a hug was like a massive payoff. It was so for that. good. Uh, yeah, and then it's of course we got man. the five. You know, we got the five endings. But right, we don't need Mike. We don't need Bills. We don't need them on a boat. Like you guys are all rich. We get. We it. all You're know Bev and Ben are gonna be, be great. Like they're rich. They're great. Like life yeah. is wonderful. It's cool, them. man. But no, but that that hug though is everything to me. Like that that's the stuff that is great. And again, I, I think it's that that heart and these characters. I was telling my wife that's what. These movies, I like this group of characters more than probably any in any horror movie I can ever think of. I love them. I root for them. I want them all to be okay. And that almost never happens in horror movies, no. right? <laughs> like most of them are either like they're teenage archetypes or they're people with flaws, whatever. 
I really love this group of characters and I just like spending time with them. And I'm more invested in them, even if it's a little less as adults, than, you know, you normally are in a horror movie. And that's that is a really exceptional thing. It is. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I loved think it, ultimately this movie, this movie ends about as well as you can end a movie yeah. like this. Especially that's a movie, what I mean. that, I, movie I think that's a sequel. I think you could cut a bunch out. Oh, yeah, especially for a sequel, right? Yeah. But, yeah, you could cut a lot out. I wish they focused more on the adults. I wish Bowers was better. I wish there were scenes that weren't as cartoonish in their scares. I wish that Call Me Baby song wasn't in there. <laughs> but overall, right, like it's easy for someone to make a three-hour movie and for us to find nitpicks, right? Yeah. What this movie is is horror on the highest level of production, scale, size, unbelievably talented artist in every aspect, giving us really good performances, really terrifying and in-depth moments. Um, I mean, the, the way they build tension. Pennywise is an all-time. Like, he's in my top five favorite horror movie boogeyman villains of all time, easily. For sure. Um, the good so dramatically outweighs the bad. Agreed. They, again, if you're one of those people that just wants to try to score, like, nerd points by, oh, I got him, you can. This is a movie you could do that, but why? It was it was it's it's as good a movie as you're gonna get for a sequel to another horror movie. Like especially for something this epic and this large. Oh, I mean it's as, That's true. It's Where as, would you rank this in horror movie sequels? Oh, I mean it's I'd say as far as sequels go, I don't know how many sequels I've seen of horror movies, but Well, like of part twos, right? It's it's better than Friday. It's better than Halloween. It's better than Nightmare. I think it's better I'd, than Candyman 2. It's better than Child's Play 2. I'd, it's way better than Hellraiser 2. This might be the greatest number two in a horror series of all time. I'm just saying. It's very possible this is the deuce you don't want to drop, guys. That's for sure. Demons 2 is pretty good. Now, I could be here all day doing this game. But it's up there. It's fucking up there. It is. It's good. Just appreciate, man. You, we never get to see horror movies this size. No. Like, even deal. The Conjuring is a big studio WB movie feels so much smaller than this they didn't market the shit out of the conjuring the way they do this yeah enjoy it man this is a fun this is a really good time at the movies uh which people are always like well it's not it's so sad yeah it's fucking sad man sometimes it's cool to go to a movie and be sad and scared there are other emotions <laughs> other than uh giggles you know it's like, true i i don't know i as a guy who watched a lot of horror movies i'm always impressed um that we get these movies period when they come to theaters this big and I don't know that they've ever really been this big, man. And, you know, I, I thought it was a, a fascinating good time, uh, warts and all. Totally. I would absolutely I would absolutely watch it again with like my like if my wife was willing to watch, I'd watch it again. Oh, yeah. Well, I that, did that with it where I was like anyone who hadn't seen I'm like, guys, we should watch this right now. Maybe right. not this one because it's three hours. There will probably be some uh, scene skipping. But right. I mean, it's it's fun, man. We should be appreciative that we're getting this version of this movie, I think. Agreed. That's it, guys, for It Chapter 2. Uh, I hope you all went to the theater to see it. I really, truly do. Um, we didn't say spoilers. I guess we can say it now. <laughs> Again, if you're listening to It Chapter 2, you have to assume there are spoilers. That's on you. Yeah. Uh, rate, review, guys, wherever you find the show. Share us with your friends. We do appreciate it. Uh, this month, the pod questions reality. So, for sure, we have Total Recall, Dark City, and Black Swan. We'll see what else we got time for, but those three for sure. Uh, guys, and also brush up on your Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th because you're getting drowned in horror movies next month in October. For the yeah. Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffin. I'm Alex Dandino.
Let's float, guys. Let's just float.